Before we get into today's episode, I want to take a quick moment to thank our sponsors, as this show would not be possible if it wasn't for them. Millie and Ma, the stylish and unique all-Australian gift boxes. Their ranges include corporates, him and her, babies, or you can design your own. Catch them today at www.millieandma.com.au. That's www.millieandma.com.au. And last but not least, RetroJet Prints. At RetroJet, they create unique, high-quality, retro-inspired artwork that's affordable. Designed by them for you to suit any setting. Find them today at RetroJet Prints on Instagram or Facebook. And now, let's start the episode. He got a bit carried away, Brendan. That's not like Brendan to get carried away, is it? No, not at all. What a time to be alive. Steven's a go. Disposal efficiency. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 63 of the Pressure Point podcast um, and as always I'm joined by my co-host Quinn DeLuca. How you going mate? Good mate, good. It's uh, good to be back for another episode, second one this week so it's uh, getting some consistency back into it which is good. That's it, bit different though, we're in, uh, in lockdown so we can't be together in that fantastic studio that you're in so we'll have to do it through Zoom as we've become used to over the last 12 months but uh, it's all good but this episode, though, in particular, we've got a very special guest. We've got senior AFL reporter for Fox Footy, uh, panelist on First Crack and the Fox Footy podcast, and also a massive Melbourne fan. We've got Tom Morris. Welcome, Tom. <laughs> Thank you, Quinn. Thank you, Marcus. That's a song that's close to my heart. I thought you might like that one. I was hoping you enjoyed it. That's good. I've actually I did a TikTok to that song a while ago. I'm not sure. <laughs> Yeah, that's, right. why, that's why I chose that one. The truth about that TikTok is we actually filmed it in lockdown last year when we had, I think we had nine mates over and I think the maximum was, we could have, it was eight. So we actually broke the law. Another guy came over. I can say this now because this happened in like 2020, you know, like May 2020. And then um, anyway, I didn't put the TikTok up until like a year later just so people didn't quite know when it was filmed. But I'm not sure TikTok's my go, but that song does uh, does sit in a nice spot in my heart. So thanks for having me on. Uh, absolute pleasure. That song slaps every time. We've been playing it in the change rooms after games and um, footy at the moment and it, yeah, it goes off. So no, but thanks for joining us, mate. Appreciate it. No, no, no worries at all. Great, great little intro as well. I was wondering whether you're going to play the Brendan Favola pressure point bit and, and, you, and you didn't disappoint. <laughs> no, we deliver. We deliver when it counts. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, um, we'll may as well get started into it and we'll start right from the very start, mate. We'll um, get a bit of background and, and you know, how you got into um, journalism and sport media in particular and, and how you got to where you are today. So, we'll, um, yeah, I guess we'll start there. Yeah, well, it's, um, it's not a very exciting story. I wish I had something more for you. I went to uni. I did a, I did a sports journalism course at La Trobe. And while I was at uni, I, um, I got a sort of a casual role at St Kilda Footy Club. Um, not, I want to say casuals, unpaid for the back half of the 2012 season. All I'd do every St Kilda game was just write five talking points for the match. They'd go on their website. And I remember thinking to myself, this is the coolest thing ever. Like my articles are in the St Kilda Footy Club website. I was so chuffed. I was 21 years old. It was the best thing. Um, and then that was 2012. And then the person who actually offered me this job at St Kilda, um, she got made redundant because they liked my footy writing, but her, her skills were PR and marketing, whereas mine was sort of more in digital content. So they sort of moved her on and I took her role, which uh, didn't make her too happy when I saw her out in Richmond about a month after that. 
But in 2013, which is my third year of uni, I, I was part-time there. So I was two days a week and then um, just running for the website, doing social media and, uh, and doing a game day as well. And then when I finished university, so start of 2014, I became full-time at the Saints. I was full-time at the Saints for two years. It's amazing it was only two years, 2014 and 2015, but it was awesome. Even though the Saints finished last in 2014, um, St Kilda was three and two after five rounds and won one more game. And then 2015, they went much better. So I was constantly trying to polish, polish a turd. I was constantly trying to make it better, you know, write positive stuff about the Saints, even though they were playing terrible footy, even though the young players weren't really playing that well. Nick Rewalt and Lee Montagna were playing that well, but no older players were playing very well. And then in, towards the end of 2015, um, I got an email from a guy called Adam Baldwin, who I didn't know. And he, um, he said, oh, do you want to come get a coffee? I work at Fox Footy. I thought, yeah, why not? I don't know. I don't drink coffee, by the way. So I got an apple juice. And only now, looking back on that, that was a big red flag to him. He's like, what the hell is this guy doing having an apple juice when we met? So anyway, I had an apple juice, he had a coffee just outside Fox Footy. And he mentioned that there might be a role coming up for the Fox Footy website. And I didn't, I didn't even know the Fox Footy website existed at the time. In fact, it only just had just been created probably about a year before then. So I said, oh, yeah, I'm keen. This is about September 2015. So obviously the Saints weren't playing finals. Um, and he said, look, just have a think about it. Come back in, in, uh, in a week. I'll be away. I'm going to America. But just have a, have a, have a coffee with someone else. So I thought, oh. Okay, so I've, got, I've probably got to actually drink a coffee here. So I wore like a polo shirt and jeans, think it was just another coffee. Anyway, I rolled back in. There was no coffee. It was like an executive meeting. There was four guys in suits on the other side of this board table. And I was so intimidated. I didn't even really know what the job was. Anyway, they offered me this job and I just accepted on the spot. Didn't talk about money. Didn't know what, what was going on. Just said, yep, I didn't really know. I didn't ever resign from anywhere before. Didn't understand the protocols. And then I've been at Fox Footy ever since. So that was late 2015. And Probably from 2015 to early 2018, my role was the same, just like pumping out digital content, doing some social media, just online stuff. And then it started to grow in 2018 when uh, Caroline Wilson stepped down at the age. She became more of a columnist. And Jake Nile went from Fox back to the age where he'd been before as the chief footy writer. So then a spot opened up for sort of a more senior position at Fox. And I thought I was no chance. Like I thought they'd give it to someone a bit older. I was 26. Um, I didn't even really consider it. But then... In early January, I was sitting at the SCG covering uh, the Australia-England test match. And um, Australia was dominating. Kawhi made 100. I remember it clearly. And I got a call from someone saying, just look into this. I think, um, I think Bomber Thompson's been arrested for, for drugs. And I went, oh, God, okay. Uh, I don't know what to do. So I just I thought, okay, I'll call, I'll call the police media number. That's what I'll do. So there's like a number you can call for police media. And they won't tell you the person's name, but they'll say, like, yeah, we can confirm you know, a 54-year-old man has been arrested from Port Melbourne for X, X, and X. So anyway, they just confirmed that a, let's say, 54-year-old uh, man from Port Melbourne um, who lives in this street has been arrested on these charges. And I was like, oh, God, well, that, isn't, that didn't, I mean, that's the same age as Bomber Thompson, but it could be anyone. I thought, oh, no, I'll just Google the street that they said to me and I'll see if that aligns with Bomber Thompson. And it did. So it was, it was Mark Thompson, who, by the way, at the time worked at Fox Footy. So I was like, ah. Oh, this is just, um, this is this is too much. Like, what do I do? How do I do this? I've never really broken anything like this before. So I just did the story. I didn't mention drug use. I just said Bomber Thompson's house has been, the story was Bomber Thompson's house has been raided. Um, you know, people can put two and two together. They weren't raiding his house because he jaywalked. You know, it's clearly something seriously serious had gone wrong. Um, and from that moment, the boss of Fox Footy just all of a sudden thought I could do this role, which I never thought I could do, the replacing Jake Niles. So they just offered me this job, which also had a TV component and a podcast component. 
and then it's just sort of grown since then with some more cricket work and some footy work and some shows that they've sort of allowed me to be part of as well. But really it all started because I've got this tip off about Bomber Thompson. So, you know, while it was terrible for him, it was great for me and I've been at Fox ever since. So that's sort of the story in a nutshell, like some, some lucky turns. I've, I guess I've worked hard, but I don't, I'll be honest. I don't think I've worked any harder than necessarily other people. I just think I've, I've, I've managed to sort of be smart with the way that I've, um, I've directed my time and my interests of cricket and footy are popular in Australia. If I was into even, uh, even a sport like soccer or a sport like basketball, which is still very popular, it has nowhere near the attention that footy and cricket have. So I think I'm lucky that I'm into those two sports. Yeah, absolutely. I think those two are definitely, oh, I mean, easily the biggest in Australia. So that would have helped definitely. But um, I guess in saying that, you said you got tipped off about the Bomber Thompson thing, which again yeah. leads into my next question. How difficult can it be differentiating whether or not a source is given reliable information? Obviously, you do your own research like you did. Um, but sometimes, you know, it can be tough to tell what's fake and what's real news. Yeah, absolutely. I get tipped off about like, this is why I hate the term I'm hearing or I'm told. Because if I reported everything that I heard or that I was told, I would be just putting rumours out all over the place. Like people, me- like people messaging me on Twitter, um, on Instagram, you know, even, even people I know really well texting me or, or giving me a call saying this is happening. And it turns out being wrong. So I hate it when – I don't hate it, but I, I, I just don't like it when other journalists or other people in the media are saying, I'm hearing this or I'm told this. It's like, no, no, this is either happening or this is not happening. Like that, that is, to me, pretty important. So I'll, I'll, I mean, I've, I've probably made the mistake before, but I'm try, I try not to say I'm told or I'm hearing because to me that's, that, that, um, that is not a qualification what you're saying. If anything, that downgrades what you're saying. But people sometimes say to me, oh, how many sources do you need for a story? And the answer is it varies. Like, Quinn, if you do your hamstring and you tell me you've done your hamstring, I don't need another source. Like you are, you are the person. Like that's it. So the, occasionally you just have one source because the source is the person or the source is so close to the person that it's just, it's completely obvious. Um, if you tell me that your brother's best friend has a hamstring, then I probably need to um, find a way to work out exactly how I'm going to get that story. So um, a lot of the time you use the info against, against each, uh, use the information against other information. So you'll say to someone, I'm hearing this, what do you think? And they'll say, no, nah, that's actually not true, but you just got to balance it. And a good example of that the other day was I heard from someone who I thought was very reliable that the Sydney Swans and the Giants were lobbying for the season to be paused, that they want the AFL season to, to, to stop right now for a couple of weeks while everyone got back on their feet because of the COVID stuff. And I asked a few more people. I managed to get in touch with a couple of people who would know, and they said, no, nah, no, you just overcooked it a little bit. Like, they're not lobbying. They're not going in there banging their fist on the table. But they're saying, if there's an option for it to be paused, then we'd support it. So that, that balance, that nuance is really important. But in answer to your question, how do you differentiate? Well, the only way you can learn is just by experience, um, on a day-to-day basis and, and working out who's reliable and who's not. And often the hardest ones are the ones where people think they're reliable, like they are certain they're correct, but they're actually not correct and they don't know that they're not correct. So that, that's they're the, they're the ones you've got to worry about. Yeah, like you said, I think it just comes down to experience. And then, if, like you said, if someone do, is so certain that they're, you know, what their information is correct, then it's going to be hard to convince them that they're not until it comes out that they're not. So, yeah, like you said, it's yeah. also tough. But, um. I noticed you've been doing a lot of podcasts at the moment. You, you know, you joined uh, the Attention to Detail Boys last yeah. week, joining us, and then obviously the famous interview with uh, Scoop. So Cooper Gresham, <laughs> that, was, that was huge. He's probably not the little guy because he's got, what, 30-something 30, 30 thousand um, followers or whatever it is. But <laughs> how important is it for you um, to see these young journalists try and make it? And what's a, It's a pretty cutthroat industry, like you said before, yeah. 
hard to make it in there. But well, yeah, how important is it to see these young guys giving it a crack? For sure. Because it feels like yesterday that I remember thinking to myself, oof, what am I doing? Like, how am I going to get a job? Who's going to employ me? Um, how am I going to get my content out there? So, I mean, there's only so much I can do. This is the thing. So, I, although I'm sort of um, like people read articles and people might see me on TV, I'm not the boss. Like, I don't hire anyone. So, I get people saying, oh, can I do an internship and things like that? I'm like, well, I'm just, I'm just the same as anyone else. Like, I'm just an employee of Fox. Um, but I love seeing the passion that young people, and say young, like not even that much, I'm 29, like people who are 27 or 28 or 30, doesn't matter, people have for sports media. So you see passion for footy all the time. Like you see that if you go to the footy when there's crowds or if you just, just see social media, the passion for footy is unbelievable. But I love the passion for the sports media side of things, the stories, the narratives, um, the, the, the different things that go on in that sort of landscape. So yeah, it's uh, it's great to see. People say like, oh, well, you know, what do I have to do to make it? It's like, well, I don't know. I haven't made it yet. Like I, I, I might be, I might be ahead of where people are at uni, but I, I still have aspirations to do certain things and to, and to achieve things in my career. So I don't think you've ever actually made it. And also I, I'm big on this. There's no linear, there's no linear process to make it to make it you know there's no like you do this this and this bang you get a job it's not like you become an accountant because you do a degree at university then you get an internship then you become an accountant and there you are you're an accountant you're dealing with numbers your whole life it's like no you do it you do a degree which i think is important um but it's not actually about whether it's not it's not linear from there like you might go and do marketing or pr or social media or digital media might do an internship in the country like there's so many different ways in i'm a big advocate for getting in via a sports club whether it's an afl club like i did at st kilda whether it's melbourne victory whether it's a bbl franchise just getting in somewhere at a club at a franchise anywhere in the country in the world i think is a great start yeah absolutely well at the moment um i'm uh, volunteering at coburg lines footy club the v in the vfl and then i'm doing some stuff for my local club as well so i thought that'd be a good way in but i guess one of the reasons i know for myself anyway that i thought sports media would be a cool industry to get into um would be the relationships that you know you'd imagine that you'd be able to have with some of the players and the athletes and these guys that you know i used to look up to when i was a bit younger but Obviously, you can't speak for everyone, but in generic terms, what's the relationship um, like between yourself and some of the athletes that you find yourself reporting on? I know some people are definitely more receptive than to journalists than some others are. Yeah, sure. Um, well, give me some examples. Give me some names. I mean, the people I work with are great. Some people who um, who, who get stories, who you get stories off um, and you write about don't like you as much, but give me some examples. Who do you want me to talk about? Oh, geez, it's a tough one to point out, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I'm a big Richmond man, so I'd love to know about any Tigers players. But <laughs> well, I'll give you. I mean, I'll give you. I'll give you one example. So, um, when I was up, I, I was lucky enough to go up to the hub last year, and um, and when I was up in the hub, um, I went to, I was I was going to Body Fit, um, and Body Fit is like a like a uh, what do you call it? Like a, a group training, so like F45. Yeah, sounds that one, doesn't he? Matty Thomas. That's right. Speaking of Richmond, Matty Thomas. Daniel Stewart, who played at Port, runs the Paran one. Dyson Heppel used to own one in Exhibition Street. Zach Merritt owns one. Anyway, and I went up there and I happened to be staying for three months near um, Body Fit Miami on the Gold Coast, which you can imagine what Miami is like as a suburb. If you know anything about Miami, like there are, it is unbelievable. Like this, it's like being in Miami. But anyway, uh, Pierce Hanley, who played for Brisbane, did he play for Gold Coast as well? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he did. He, um, he owns one. So I, I went there and it was the off season 
from the teams that didn't play finals. So I got to know Brandon Ellis and Took Miller really well because they were going there at that point. And then Brandon Ellis comes down here. Uh, we played golf a few times. So you sort of become mates that way. And it's amazing. You have this idea of someone like Brandon Ellis, the two-time premiership player. He's not a superstar. He's a good player. He's got a hamstring at the moment. Um, you have an idea of someone and it's probably just shows that you shouldn't judge a book by its cover. I thought Brandon Ellis, like, ah, oh, he's not really my sort of person. I don't think I'd like him too much. He's the nicest, most friendly person in, in the AFL. Like he's, he would talk to anyone. He loves a game. He asks questions. So the big learning curve for me over the last few years is not to judge a book by its cover. The best example of that is probably uh, Jordan Lewis, who I hated Jordan Lewis when he was at Hawthorne, you know, like he was the enemy. He was, he, he, he'd hit our plays. He was a gun player, but I just, as a Melbourne supporter, I just got, and then we got him at Melbourne. I was thinking, Oh God, you know, it's like, it's like, um, must've been like how Chelsea felt when Frank Lampard went to Manchester city. It's like, how, what do I do? How, how do I rationalize this? You know, like what do I do? And, uh, and I, I sort of didn't mind him at Melbourne and then I'll get to, you know, I'll work with him and I, he's one of my best mates at Fox footy. So the lesson is, and it's probably from them to me as well. People think of journalists as like, you know, little rats under the, under the surface, don't really like untrustworthy, you know, always hunting for a story. can't really speak openly to them. The challenge for me is to um, dismount that and, 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 and make sure that people can know they can trust me. And I'm just a normal person just doing my job. So that is a challenge. That's a constant challenge. But once you get to know people, once they, they get to know you, there's sort of a mutual trust and a, a mutual understanding that, um, you know, most of the time you're two pretty good people. Yeah. You, you touched on, um, on hub life and being in the hub last year. What was, what was the experience like up there? I know, you know, there's a lot of players and staff have come out and said, you know, it was pretty tough being away from home for yeah. that long. And then some players and staff loved it. What was your experience like overall? Uh, well, I loved it, but I was in a different situation. So, I mean, <laughs> um, I'll talk about my situation first. So Fox asked me to go up on August the 20th. And I went up, I think there's a transition hub that was leaving September one, 400 AFL people. So, in that hub was Gary Ablett, Dan Hannanbury, um, uh, who's a Richmond player, uh, Edwards, Shane Edwards, um, and, if, and and then like Gil McLaughlin was in the hub. You know, it was there was wives and girlfriends and the whole lot and families. And I was like, this is the best thing I've ever done. You get two weeks in a resort where you can leave your room and you get lunch every day, and you are with the very people that you are trying to get stories off. So the, and 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 again, I've got to be careful here because like. You didn't, I didn't just speak to people to get stories, but the, the natural organic connections you made in that, I made in that hub. We played soccer every evening with Gil McLaughlin and Andrew Dillon and Eddie Maguire and Jade Gresham and all the, some, some of the younger fellows who like Andrew Bassett's son, who's a St Kilda president, president was playing. You know, like there was a big game of soccer every evening at 5 p.m. And being able to, like, I don't know if you guys agree, but for me, the greatest way to connect with people is actually to play sport with them. You know, like you can go to a new footy club or a new cricket club. I'm more of a cricketer. And you play two games and all of a sudden you're in because you play sport with these people. And it's the same applies in this hub. So for two weeks, I was, was where my girlfriend and I were around these people. And then I was out of the hub. So unlike the rest of them who had to stay in a hub-like environment, I was just living like a Queenslander. So I had no, I had, I had no issue. I could go to bars. I even went to Surfers Paradise one night. I was a bit too old, but I went to a nightclub. Like it was just... It was, it was awesome. <laughs> um, but the actual hub experience for the players is pretty terrible for the ones I've spoken to. Not all of them, but some of them, you know, it was, it was full on. Um, they, couldn't, they couldn't escape footy. Not all footballers love football. In fact, a lot of footballers actually want to get away from footy as much as possible. Ed Langdon from Melbourne doesn't watch any footy. 
the only footy he watches is when he's reviewing his own game, when he's looking ahead to the opponents, um, and that's it. He, he doesn't actually watch any footy. So there's a lot of players like that, and I can see why it would have been a suffocating experience for them. But I loved it. I was out of the hub after two weeks and living a life as a Queenslander, so I can't complain. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I mean, yeah, I think a lot of the the general public would have um, wouldn't have understood why why some players didn't like it. I mean, going up to Queensland and being up there for so long yeah. would have been great, especially during a Melbourne winter as well. So, um, but just just while we're on on hubs, do you do you see that happening maybe for the remainder of the season or some part of this season while we're back in a similar situation? It, d- it depends how you def- how you define a hub. So I think the, the definition has changed because to me, a hub is where is a situation where you're living with your team. And you can only leave to go get a takeaway coffee or to train or to play. Um, you, for example, if you wanted to go to a restaurant and sit in a restaurant, you couldn't do that in a hub. So I think that's unlikely. Um, I mean, at the moment in Victoria, it doesn't matter because restaurants aren't open. But let's assume we reopen in August. I think the AFL players who come here will be able to live like Victorians. I think the AFL is making sure that whatever the rules of the, of the state are, um, within reason, like probably not mass gatherings, probably not going to Amy Park to watch the rugby or going to a nightclub or going to, um, you know, a big shopping centre. But I think within reason, the AFL will align itself with the rules of wherever the, the players are in that state. So it's probably, to answer your question, going to be a little bit more of a relaxed... If there is a hub, it'll be more of a relaxed hub, you know. And I think that's the right thing to do. Like, there's no reason. Last year, for example, I, I saw Mark Blissard most mornings getting a takeaway coffee right near where I was staying on the Gold Coast. And so he can walk out of his of his hotel, he'd go and get a coffee and he'd walk back. And I was thinking, you know, like there's no there's no COVID in Queensland at this time at all. I know it's it, it's a minuscule risk to allow him to sit and have that coffee in the coffee shop. And I just think that the AFL now understands that, but it's just taken a while to get there. Yes. Yeah, so okay. People, and especially, um, I know like, you know, the Brooke Cochin thing last year was a pretty big one when she went and got her hair done or something. That blew up quite a, quite a lot. And I guess something like, you know, people being allowed to do things like that you know, they just make sense to allow things like that to happen, especially if there's no COVID around. Yeah, that's right. The, I mean, all that stuff happened in a hub, you know, whereas, as I said, I was in a hub for two weeks and then out living normally. So um, I, can't, I, was in, I was in Meriton Suites in Broadbeach. <laughs> it was actually ridiculous. I didn't want to make too much of it because Melbourne was in lockdown at the time. But honestly, you wouldn't even know that COVID existed up there. You didn't even check in anywhere. It was, yeah, it was a ridiculous experience. So I'm, I'm forever thankful of Fox for sending me up. It was full on, like I was working seven days a week, but it was absolutely worth it to get out of the lockdown and to be sort of in and amongst it up there. And to be able to go to the grand final at the Gabba was awesome too. Yeah, absolutely. That would have been incredible. It would have been incredible. I would have loved it, that's for sure. Um, We touched on at the start that you're also a panellist on the Fox Footy podcast and the first crack. What are those experiences like? I know, especially the Fox Footy podcast, we drew a lot of inspiration from that when we started our podcast and and loved the way that sort of worked and um, like the, the general aspect of talking talking footy. How, how's your experience like on on those two shows and um and and working with um you know some of the some of the guys you do with? Yeah, well Ben and Max will love to hear that. So Ben and Max, <laughs> Ben and Max, are great to work with because they're very. I don't know if you can tell by the podcast, they're very different to me. Not that I'm a big drinker, but they don't drink <laughs> at all. Um, Max doesn't drive. Um, ben lives with his cat and his girlfriend. Like that, th- these aren't these aren't the only measures that say if you met us, you'd realise like I'm very different to Ben, and Ben is very different to Max, and Max is very different to me. Like we are, and that's probably why it works quite well because we're all got different slants. Like Max's brain works in a bizarre way. That his his numbers brain is amazing. The way he's able to sort of 
put things into an Excel document and it spits back some sort of formula which tells him how likely a team is to play finals 10, 10 weeks down the track. His next level. Ben is unbelievably organised. Like he's a great, uh, he's a great organiser, worker. He's dedicated. He's, he's, he's um, you know, he doesn't leave any stone on unturned. He's, he understands digital sports media better than anyone probably. Um, and the first crack is awesome. Like being on first crack is like a dream. First crack started in late 2019 as a way to sort of like have a cheap show just to talk about footy, sort of like what ESPN does. I think it's with First Take in America. Um, and then it continued on last year, though I was away for a little bit, and then it's back this year again. So we sort of just rotate the panel. I do some weeks, Ben Dixon hosts other weeks. On Friday night this week, after the footy, it's only like a half an hour show, but I'm doing it with Dicko and Nick Del Santo. And then on Sunday, I'm on for the hour show with Lee Montagna and David King. So I don't know. Like it's um it's awesome to be able to show more of your personality, which I get to do a little bit on those shows and those podcasts rather than just sitting and uh, writing an article and putting the article online and everyone can read the article. You know, like, not that I want to show too much of my personality because it might be a bit too much for people or you don't want to give away too much. You sort of got to swim with swim between the flags a little bit. But there's, um, there is an element of it. It's good to have a debate. It's good to have an argument. It's good to show your personality so people know that you're not just some pen pusher sitting back writing articles for, uh, for Fox footy. So that's been the best thing for me. It's been a learning curve. I've, I didn't have a lot of TV training, a lot of TV experience. So for them to just throw me into the deep end was unbelievable from Fox footy. And again, I'll be forever thankful for that. Speaking of um, showing your personality, it's no secret that you're a big Melbourne fan and the days are absolutely flying this year. What, what do you think of the main fundamental changes they've made to get yourselves into this position that you're sitting in at the moment? I think, um, I think Mark Williams and Adam Uze coming in has been huge. Mark Williams hasn't just been great for the skills, but also he's been like a good uh, sounding board for Simon Goodwin and Adam Uze, honestly, like, I think I've said it before. I said it on the Fox footy podcast a couple of weeks ago, like Adam Uze had a year to go on his Hawthorne contract who wanted to keep him. Essendon wanted him. Melbourne wanted him. There was a bidding war over Adam Uze at a time when the soft cap was reduced by $3 million. That tells you how highly rated Uze is. And I was just looking at the odds this morning for the next Collingwood coach. Like there's no, no surprise that Adam Uze is like $5.50. I think he should probably be the favorite or the second favorite, but um, that's been a huge difference. Um, other than that, I think probably 20, Eight, my, my take is 2018, the D slightly overperformed, finished fifth, I think, or sixth. Either way, played a Geelong team that was cooked by then. Played, sorry, Geelong, finished fifth. Played Geelong that was cooked. Hawthorne was absolutely cooked by the second final. Like they were at the, they were at the tail end. Their fourth place finishing was a, bit, uh, was a bit strange in itself. So then they got done by West Coast. So I think Melbourne was probably a fifth to eighth team, not a one to four team. Um, 2019, I think they underperformed. They finished 17th, which means... Uh, but they didn't get belted in games. Whereas you look at most 17th-place teams, they get belted throughout the year. Whereas Melbourne didn't get... They were losing by five goals every week, which tells me the real Melbourne was about what it was last year, which was ninth, somewhere in the middle of those two. So then the challenge was, could Melbourne sort of go more towards what they were in 2018 or would they regress to what they were in, in 2019? And I think what we've seen is the couple of little changes. Ed Langdon coming in, I've mentioned him before. Um, they've got their key to their, their defense, right? They've still got some holes. Like I'm still worried about the forward line. Petrarca's, the, and th- this is the other thing, all the good players are reaching the peak of their careers at the same time. Oliver, Petrarca, Gorn, they're all sort of um, at the apex of their careers at the same time, which is what it takes to be a good team. So yeah, it's good. Uh, I will say I'm a Melbourne supporter. I'm a Melbourne member. I care about Melbourne, but 
I'm not as emotionally invested as perhaps I once was. I think because when you work in the industry, you probably get a little bit jaded by the whole thing. Um, and that's a, bit, that's a bit of a shame. I'm probably just scaled back 20%. It doesn't ruin my weekend when Melbourne lose. It doesn't make my weekend when Melbourne win. In saying that, the 2018 finals were awesome when we won two finals. So I'm sure I'd be like that later on if, uh, if we got to that. But I'm not, uh, I'm not as, and this is not a criticism of other football fans, I'm nowhere near as emotionally invested as other football fans in my club, even though I do care how they go. I think I might need you to teach me that skill because I've got my girl <laughs> next to me who didn't come around to my place the other night because she goes, if Richmond lose, I can't bear to be around you. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's a tough one. It's a real tough one. But um, obviously, the well, last couple of years, there's been some rule changes brought in, like the 666 rule. It's been around for a couple of years, man on the mark, medical sub, et cetera. What are your thoughts on all the changes? Do, do you, are you happy with them or do you think we should just leave the game alone? No, I've never been able to leave the game alone person. And the reason is because the game has never been left alone. If you look back, to, I've got a history of rule changes from 1897 to now. And there's been rule changes throughout, like significant rule changes. For example, up until about the 1930s, the boundary umpire used to run along and knock the ball back in, didn't throw the ball back in. You know, like um, there, was, there was a diamond, not a square before the diamond. There was no centre square. You know, so anyone could go into a centre bounce. Like the game has always evolved. And my view was... And um, I know not, not all footy fans share this. So that's fine. I respectfully disagree that the game, in my view, was actually becoming unwatchable at certain times in the last few years. Like it was a rolling mall. It was terrible to watch. Now, what, it, what papered over the cracks was the fact that there was a lot more close games because there was less scoring. So therefore, the scores were, were closer at the end of the game. But I felt it was unwatchable. So I felt the AFL needed to do something now, I think the medical sub is a shocking rule. Um, if, you're gonna, if, you want it, if you want another player, have a 23rd player for all I care. Have five on the bench. That's fine. Who cares? But the medical sub is open to interpretation. It also counts as a game if you don't get on the field. I just think it's, it's an embarrassment for the game. I hope they change it. Um, the truth behind it was that the AFL wanted, wanted a concussion sub. Um, the players wanted a full sub. And the meeting point was a medical sub, which no one wanted. So I, I just think it's a laughable rule change. So I'm not, I'm, not a, I'm not a blind advocate for all the AFL rule changes. I think they've made some shockers in the past. I think 666 doesn't really change the game. You may as well. You know, I don't like extra lines on the ground. So I would have hated the extended goal square. Um, and then the other, the, the, rule, the rule that I think they need to bring in is if you kick it backwards, I think it should be play on. I just think they've had it for preseason games in the past. And I... You know, the amount of times teams just go backwards and sideways, like get the ball going forward and you can get, gain territory that way. I think the fact that players can play on from fullback and take it halfway down the field is a great rule change. Like, that makes perfect sense. I think the, the stand rule um, should only be a rule um, in, the, in the back half. So in the front half, a lot of the time, you've got you to reward, you've got to allow teams to go. Whereas, I, sorry, I'm trying to say that again. The stand rule should only be a, a rule in the back in the back two thirds of the ground. In the front third, so center forward onwards, I don't think it should be a stand rule. And the reason for that is because you've got to allow teams, you've got to allow defense to to defend when they're going to kick a goal. Like a person takes a mark 55 from goal, and the man on the mark has to stand there. And the guy could run around and kick the goal, and the man on the mark's got to just watch him go because he can't move until the umpire says. And I just think that's I think that's fundamentally wrong. But I do like the stand rule because it opens up corridors and passages. So um I'm not an advocate for changing the game ridiculously. Like, I don't like what uh, has happened in England where T20 cricket has become the 100. Like, I think that's a bit too much, sort of bastardising a game. But I am an advocate for tinkering with the rules to make sure that it's better. 
Again, something that's not popular. You guys probably disagree with this. I thought 16-minute quarters were too short last year. Uh, but I also think 20-minute quarters are too long. I think 18-minute quarters, at least for this year, would have allowed the AFL to show some more flexibility. For the mo- at the moment, when there are, um, you know, COVID concerns, to play games on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday nights, you know, you take eight minutes out of a game, that's probably 15 or 20 minutes on the field you take out of the game. I think that would have been a good thing. So those are my thoughts. I know not everyone agrees, but uh, I've never been one to just leave the game alone because the game has never been left alone. And I think a lot of the rule changes that have come in have actually really helped the game. Yeah, for sure. I know, Quinn, you, you've been pretty big on leaving the game alone and not with these rules. So I think most you've fans been, are. I yeah. think 80%, 80% of fans are big on leave the game alone. But all I would say to that, and that's a completely um, understandable uh, opinion, is just I'll send you a link, have a look at all the different rule changes, and you'll be amazed how many have actually really helped the game. I don't like the way that boundary umpires take so long to throw the ball in. Like the, the whole... Um, you know, ruck nomination rule takes ages. And I hate that. Like, just throw the ball up and let's get going. So there are things I'll tinker as well. And I think the AFL's made some errors, but I also think they've done some reasonable things in the last couple of years to free it up at least a little bit. Yeah, I think I'm probably sounding like I'm going to backtrack a fair bit here as well. But I guess now I know, because I wasn't aware of how often the game had actually changed in its past. So I guess now you've mentioned that, it probably does change my opinion slightly. And like you said, there's going to be rules that you're happy with and rules that you aren't. Yeah. That's probably, yeah, comes down to why I'm so- saying alone but yeah yeah just on that so like you know if you think blanket leave the game alone then um have a have a read of some of the things and you'd actually be better off just going this is a good rule that's a bad rule um rather than like blanket leave the game alone or blanket do whatever you want with the game because i'm not like that either i'm probably like 60 40 come on let's be active whereas you're probably like 10 90 none of leave the game alone but uh like i'm shocked at some of the rules that used to be in the sport you know like um when you played on um, in the past, like early days, if you played on around the ground, like you take a mark on the wing, kick the ball to yourself before you go. So little things like that that are generations ago before we even watched the sport uh, that, that had faded is, is sort of important context when, you, when we're talking about the rules of the sport. The football, football to me needs to be open. So the AFL needs to find a way to lengthen the ground, you know, to make sure that the full forward stays at full forward, to make sure that there's kicks going up the field rather than kicks going sideways and backwards. And that's a really hard task to do. Like that's really difficult without changing the game too much. Like even I was, I did a story today on um, uh, Essendon's win against North Melbourne in 2001, you know, like unbelievable comeback, 69 points. And what was amazing about that game was that there was a, there was 52 goals for the game equal most ever. And there was a goal every 10 disposals on average in that match. Like, Think how direct that is. You know, every 10 touches, there was a goal. Whereas now, I checked with Champion Data today, there's a goal every 31 disposals. It just shows you how indirect it is. So we somehow need to make it more attractive for the ball to go from from end to end as quickly as possible. And some teams do it, some teams don't. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'd I'd love to see a game like that with that many goals. Yeah, same. Yeah, it would, it would make the game better. And I am open. If Look, if I genuinely think it's going to help the game, then I am for it. I guess lately I just haven't been happy with some of them. So that's probably why I'm... What I'm ones don't you like? Oh, at first, I didn't like the man on the mark rule. The uh, yeah. move. I think mostly because, like you said, um, if you had it in the, in the back half, I wouldn't mind it. But I think because you're seeing players kick goals from you know, like 60 metres out now and there's nothing... Yeah do to defend it um it hurts and as a richmond supporter you know we used to take advantage of the uh of, you know encroaching on the mark a little bit so it doesn't absolutely yeah it doesn't help us too much and then um 
Oh, and then the medical sub, I'm not a massive fan on yeah. either. I think you just either, yeah, do it, either just have the extra man on the bench, like you said, or um, just have a sub in general, but not not the medical sub. Because, like, it's too open for interpretation. Like, they originally they were pretty harsh on it where you have to miss a couple of weeks, I was saying, and then now it's sort of they'll take someone off the ground and then you'll walk back on next week and nothing's come from it. So, yeah, that'll, I think that'll change. I can't see them the medical sub in its current incarnation being in the game for a long time. I think... Um, they want to protect the head. That's fine. But I, I would think just make it a sub, you know, like don't worry about the injury. If you have a player that you can bring on any time of the game, I think that would make better sense like what it used to be or probably the ideal scenario, just have 23. Like if you want to have 23 players because the game's more arduous than ever, go for it. Have 23. I don't see how that really affects. Yeah, absolutely. Bring back the green vest, I reckon. <laughs> well, <that's laughs> the, the, the Players Association were adamant there was going to be, there had to be no red or green vest because they found that humiliating. You know, getting handed the red vest as you're getting dragged. Can you imagine how hard it is for soccer players when they get dragged in the 84th minute um, and they walk down to the down to the rooms, they put a jacket on. Imagine how hard it is for a footballer getting dragged, putting a red vest on and sitting on the bench. Like, that's humiliating. So they didn't yeah. want that. They just saw some of the England players after they got dragged right before the penalties. There. Oh, geez, yeah. <laughs> Henderson, ridiculous. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, Tom. Well, um, just before we wrap up, we're, we'll run our, our, our segment that we do. It's called the pressure cooker where we'll ask you some quick fire questions cool. and um, yeah, yeah just on the spot, but yeah, nothing too, nothing too crazy. And, uh, and then we'll wrap up from there. So um, Queen, are you going to play the, play the sting? Absolutely, mate. Here we go. <laughs> All right. Uh, who's your tip for the flag this year? Geelong. Uh, and who's your tip for the Brownlow? Uh, Marcus Bontempelli. I've, geez, I've gone on a limb with both of them, haven't I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, rising star? Um, I think Mitch Georgiatis. Yeah, he's been huge. And then last one, what's your favourite news story of the year so far? Oh, can you, can you define favourite news story? What do you mean? The one that... The one I've enjoyed reading, the one I've enjoyed writing, the one that I think's had the most impact on the footy industry. Give me some sort of clarity. Yeah, probably the one you think's had the most impact on the footy industry. Probably should have been more specific with that that's one. That's right. So <laughs> I, that's right. I can talk to you through a lot of I've, I've enjoyed a lot of the footy stories this year. Well, I think the Clarkson story is the biggest yeah. um, at Hawthorne. Previously, it was Buckley at Collingwood, biggest football club in the country, sacks its coach. Normally, that would be the biggest. But Hawthorne trumps it because they are one of the biggest football clubs in the country that have sacked their coach pretending like it's not a sacking four-time premiership coach and replacing the Sam Mitchell and not everyone's happy about it. So I think Clarkson trumps Buckley in the end, which is remarkable. Um, it's been an incredible few weeks. You know, it's all about who's, whose truth you believe. Uh, the reality, as far as I understand it, is that lots of people uh, dis, uh, are not satisfied with the transition period at Hawthorne. So there are players especially who would love Clarkson to continue beyond 2022 because they love him and, and they're not happy with this decision, especially the older players, you know, McAvoy, Gunston, Bruce, these types. There are also, because they've been with Clarkson for a long time, there are also younger players who would prefer Sam Mitchell to coach next year. So equally, they're not happy with the transition period, but they'd like Clarkson to go now so that Mitchell can step up and be the coach next year because Mitchell's sort of been working in a development uh, role for the last couple of years. So one thing they have in common, all these players, is that they don't like the decision the club has made to have a handover period of 18 months. Like that is, 
And then there's directors that would that think it's best for some fresh blood now. And Clarkson can go, but he can't go now because he's on $1.2 million and that's too much out of the soft cap. And you, you'd have a skeleton coaching staff for next year. And what sort of start does that give Sam Mitchell his job if he doesn't have good people around him because he can't afford them? So to me, the Clarkson, and it's still got a few more chapters to play out. The Clarkson story is the most interesting. I take Clarkson at his word that, he, that he'll stay, um, but things change in footy. You know, the amount of times I've heard people say categorically one thing and categorically the other thing ends up happening. Like it happens all the time. So I wouldn't be believing everything 100%, but I've got no reason not to believe Clarkson that he'll stay for next year. If he doesn't, then I don't think he's going to go to Collingwood, but I'll be watching Carlson very closely to see what happens with David Teague, although they've started winning some games recently. So he might get another year itself as well. It might be perfect timing for Carlton. Like Clarkson coaches Hawthorne next year. Teague's got another year in his contract. If it doesn't work out with Teague at Carlton, it just becomes a, it just becomes a straight Teague, you're out. Clarkson, you're in. doesn't co- cost the club any money. But also, you don't really want to waste next year. You don't want to waste the year just waiting for Clarkson to finish. So you can see there's lots of branches that come from this tree. Um, and you can see why I'm so interested in it. I could talk about it for hours. I love it. So, yeah, the Clarkson story, followed by the Buckley story, I reckon, are the two most interesting for the season. Yeah, absolutely. I think the Clarkson one is big as well because the whole handover period thing sort of reminds me a little bit of what happened to Essendon last year, and that went yep. down it's probably poorly, you'd imagine, compared to where they are this year. So, yeah, it's uh, very similar things there, but I could see Marcus smirking when you mentioned the thought of uh, Clarkson going to Carlton there as a big blues man. I could oh, see- you're a blues man, are you? Yeah, yeah. So, oh, man, I, I, I would. Like, if, if we were going to get anyone, I'd say Clarkson. But, um, geez, but then I don't, also don't want to, you know, get rid of Teague too early either. Um, yeah. But, you know, being Carlton and, and the past, what we've done in the past is just, yeah, it makes sense for us to get someone like Clarkson, especially with the list that we've got as well. Yeah, it does. And I just, I know my view is that we're actually, uh, we're actually a bit too nice to coaches in my view. Like, if there's a better person out there, and if I'm Adelaide, I'm going – Geez, we really like you, Matthew Nix, but Clarkson wants to come to us. We're going to get Clarkson. Like, I just think we're probably not quite um, brutal enough in the AFL coaching industry, I reckon. If someone like Clarkson becomes available, like all clubs, pretty much apart from the Swans, um, you know, within reason, they're not going to get rid of Longmire. But most clubs should look at Clarkson and say, can we do better with Clarkson as coach? So the problem is it's going to it cost a fair bit of money to sack a coach now. So I'm not sure if it's worth it. And Teague's a good guy. He's done quite well with his group. He's done better than Brendan Bolton. But how far can he take them? A lot of unanswered questions. Yeah, absolutely. I think he, I think the last four weeks have definitely saved Teague. I reckon at least till the end of the season, and um, we'll see how that goes. But yeah, I'm not I'm not too confident anyway with um, with Teague. But we'll, we'll see how that plays out. Um, but yeah, mate, that is, uh, that is pretty much all we've got for today. And it's uh, been an absolute pleasure to have you on. And um, we both greatly appreciate your time and, um, and your insight into everything AFL. So no, it's been great. No worries. Thanks, Marcus. Thanks, Quinn. Thanks for having me on. No problem, mate. Big right. fan of your work. So yeah, really appreciate you jumping on. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Thanks, Tom. Cheers, Cheers. mate.